I wish all of you could be right here at this moment. Unbelievable atmosphere. And the 0-2. Swing and a miss. Cubs win. Cubs win. Cubs win. Breaking ball got him. The Cubs with a massive celebration right near home plate. The Cubs are in the National League Championship Series. This is the Radio DePaul podcast. I'm Eli Herskovich. With the MLB postseason heating up, this week we talked about our favorite memories in playoff history. If I'm remembering all of this correctly, and mind you, I might not be, this was 2008, so seven years ago, roughly around this time, seven years ago, Cubs were down, the Cubs, my lifelong team, I grew up a mile, mile west of Wrigley Field, um, I spent my entire life in Lakeview, uh, I was raised a Cubs fan. That was the first sport that really, really kind of came to me. I, nothing else really appealed to me at the time. I wasn't into basketball. I wasn't into football. But baseball was in my backyard. Wrigley Field was right there for the taking. And because of that, I started playing Little League. I was obsessed with the Cubs starting at age five. And now sitting here, you know, as a senior in college, I'm just as obsessed as ever and probably in, at an unhealthy level. Um, but I remember this game very clearly. It was game three. In 2008, the Cubs were pretty much the best team in the National League all season long, and we were all very confident that this this was going to be the year where they advanced further than that first round. They were eliminated by Arizona the year before, and I was probably a little cocky. I was in high school, and I was feeling myself a little bit. So I really wanted to watch Game 3 with my dad. He raised me a Cubs fan. We've watched, it seems like, millions of games together over my life, and um, I, I wanted to watch with him, but the Cubs were already down 2-0, and my best friend Jake really wanted to go to uh, one of his friend's houses uh, for the game, and I didn't really want to do that. I want, Like I said, I wanted to watch with my dad, but the Cubs were already down 2-0, and I was vulnerable, right? I, I would have said yes to, any, to anything, pretty much, so Jake uh, invited me to his friend's house, uh, a little bit far, far away from my house, a couple miles away, and we went to watch in let's call him Dave, in Dave's basement where a bunch of other people were not paying any bit of attention to the game and me and Jake were the only ones that really seemed to care. And maybe we cared too much because, you know, what came next was just brutal. We watched we watched Rich Harden come in. You know, he was the, you know, he got, we, the Cubs acquired him in the trade from Oakland at the deadline and we really thought that he was going to be that X factor. He had some nasty stuff. And he came in, he gave up three earned runs, I believe, in like four innings or something like that. Um, and then the Cubs couldn't get any offense going whatsoever. And what I distinctly remember, I remember the last pitch of the game. It was from Jonathan Broxton facing Alfonso Soriano, trying to keep the Cubs' 2008 season alive. And he threw some breaking ball outside in the dirt. Yeah, There's no way that that pitch looked like a strike at any time, at least to me. And Soriano, of course, swung at it. And just like that, the season was over. The Cubs had been eliminated, and the Dodgers were advancing to the next round. He went around, strike three, the game is over, and the Dodgers sweep. And I was just devastated. I, I didn't say a word to even my best friend Jake. I didn't say a, say a word to Dave, whose house I was in. I slowly just gathered my stuff, and I walked out, and I walked home. This was like late at night, and I was still in high school, and I was young, and my parents would never have allowed this to happen if they knew what I was doing. But I was, I was genuinely sad, and I was disheartened, 
and I was taking it way too emotionally, and I, I should have never gotten myself that involved. Um, but I walked all the way home from from this person's house two and a half miles or something at like 10 o'clock at night. It was might have been later because the game was even – it was probably later actually because the game was in Los Angeles, so it must have been 11 or 12 or something like that. And I walked all the way home. It took me like an hour and a half. And by the time I got home, I was exhausted and I went to bed. And I didn't wake up again until like 1.30, maybe 2 o'clock the next day in the afternoon. I was that devastated. And ever since that day, I've kind of tried my best to remove myself and remove my emotions from watching these games. These teams can still be my favorite, but that that final Cubs game in 03, in 08, that third game, really, it really did a toll on me for a while. And I, I vowed to never let that happen again. favorite uh, MLB playoff memory would have to be the Tigers their 06 uh, run to to the World Series grant they did lose to the Cardinals in five but um, I, I tell you what that 2016 extremely special you know baseball in in the Metro Detroit area before then had been pretty bad for about the last 10-15 uh, years you know they had closed Tiger Stadium Randy Smith the GM was was ousted he, he struggled a lot Alan Trammell you know who, who was should be a Hall of Famer, arguably one of the best Tigers on an 84 team. He did an awful job managing it. He didn't have much help either. But I remember that whole whole year. It was um, extremely special. I had seen, obviously, the Pistons were popular at that point. The Lions were always popular. The Red Wings had, have had, they already had parades down Woodward. But the Tigers, it was the first time in my life where they were a Above 500, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. First time, definitely, they made the playoffs in my, that would, I would have been 11 at that point. But uh, but I tell you, one thing I remember is just a couple of those games at home, then going to Buffalo Wild Wings with uh, you know my my uh, football team at the time, and you know after practice on Friday because there was a couple Friday Saturday night games, and and you'd have a packed Buffalo Wild Wings. Everyone's a Tigers fan. Multiple TVs, just just oh gosh, I mean the place just roared, and it wasn't a big restaurant either. You know I, I remember um, my dad like just. Just like I think he, he almost he shed a tear when when uh, when arguably my favorite one of my favorite moments in Detroit sports history happened. Maglio hit the walk off to send the Tigers into their first World Series in 22 years. And in fact, funny enough, that was October 14th, 2006, when Ardonia's hit that off of Houston Street, and they won the '84 World Series on October 14th, 1984. Kind of a cool anecdote there. I definitely, I, I remember that day, though, going up to, to Game 4, because it's, it's in Comerica, and the Tigers got a 3 nothing lead. I mean, the the whole city, Dearborn to Flint, I mean, it, you just had 7, 8 million people in southeastern Michigan tuning in for this game, and it, it was one of the bigger followings for a playoff run that I could remember. At least, again, I'm only 20, but oh, that night, I remember I was playing baseball, or baseball or football outside with my, my next-door neighbor, and... For whatever reason, we weren't watching the game. I, it was a beautiful night outside. I remember that. And his dad says, "Hey guys, uh, Tigers are down three nothing. It's like the sixth or the seventh." Uh, and we're like, "Ah, well, do you guys want to come in and watch it?" And we're like, "Nah, we're gonna stay out here. You know, they'll maybe they'll win at Game Five back in Oakland. We'll ch- we'll check it out." But anyway, it, it gets dark, so we stay outside across the street. I come home in the eighth inning. You know, my my dad's sitting on the couch watching intently as he was doing. I mean, getting mad at the TV. It's kind of where I got a lot of my emotion from in terms of a sports fan. And 
they, they, they tie it 3-3. It was a couple of hits and runs they strung together. Anyway, though, Maglio Ordonez comes up to bat against Houston Street. I can still hear the radio call right now from Tom Brenneman, and, uh, who, who did it for Fox. And Ordonez 0-2 in his career against Houston Street. And then uh, you just hear, in the air, left field, the Tigers march to the World Series. And then you just, there's just silence, and you can just see pandemonium at Comerica Park. The crowd is going nuts. Ordonia, you could tell from the moment he swung the bat, you could hear the crack of it. It goes deep in the left field. Ordonia says the Tigers into the World Series. I was going nuts. My dad just just kind of sat there and was just smiling. It was it was it was one. I think it was one of the few times I've seen him. him uh, I I think he shed a tear, but he, he was you know he called my uncle, he called my family, and I just remember that whole next week in school because they had a ten day layoff from the World Series. I mean it was because again the Tigers had been almost forgotten for the, for the past fifteen years um, in the region, but. That that shot that that sent him to the World Series, sweeping the Athletics after beating the Yankees in four. I mean, that was an unbelievable October. Granted, they did lose uh, to the Cardinals in five, but it, but it couldn't take away what the what that whole two or three weeks was like being in Metro Detroit, going down, seeing all the. The, the the decorations and the and the uh, everything just set up for the World Series so unlike anything I'd ever seen before, and so I really really enjoyed that. Again, they, they still nine years ago, they, they they haven't been able to, to to get the big one yet. But arguably that was my favorite uh, favorite postseason moment in terms of MLB history. So the most memorable MLB postseason moment for me has to come from October 9th, 2005 when the Atlanta Braves and Houston Astros played in Game 4 of the National League Division Series. For the Houston Astros, it was a chance to clinch the Division Series and advance on to the NLCS. And growing up in Houston, it was really an incredible time to see because they were a team that started out the season 15-30. and 30. At one point, the Houston Chronicle, the lo- local newspaper, published a tombstone with the Astros season on it on the front page of the sports uh, sports section. And they just turned things around somehow, went on magnificent winning streaks, and ended up advancing to the postseason. And they jumped out to a 2-1 to one lead on the Atlanta Braves in the series. And so going into this game, I, me and my dad scored tickets to the event uh, by some miracle, and then there we were. And the game was 18 innings long and lasted more than six hours, at the time the longest postseason game in MLB history. And it was just such an exhaustive experience, just with the emotions ranging high and low and with the time factor as well because it was a game that started at noon, and that mean we were out the door by 10, and the game didn't end until that evening. And the game started out, and it was super disappointing because the Houston Astros fell behind 4-0 to in the third inning and were losing 6-1 to entering the eighth. And for me, up to that point in my life, as far as Astros postseason experiences go, it was always getting swept by the Atlanta Braves or falling just short of the St. Louis Cardinals. And it appeared to be going in that direction once again. Here they were with a chance to close out the series, and they were getting blown out at home with the Game 5 about to be in Atlanta. 
But in the bottom of the eighth inning, Lance Berkman stepped up and hit a grand slam, and the crowd at Minute Maid Park went nuts. Swing and a drive, left field. High, Leonard turns, it's gone! Grand slam, Berkman! And we were thinking, all right, here we are. We have a chance. And we didn't end up scoring any more runs that inning, and it goes to the bottom of the ninth, two outs, and Brad Osmus, probably one of the team's worst hitters that year, comes to the plate. And you're just thinking, oh, no, it's about to be over, and this series is going back to Atlanta for game five. But with two outs, uh, Brad Osmus just launches a home run to almost the deepest part of center field where Tal's Hill is, and probably close to 400 yards, just hits a bomb, just clears the outfield fence. And so we're going to extra innings, and extra innings were ridiculous. You had Roger Clemens coming in to pitch three innings of relief. No team scored. And in the 18th inning, finally, Chris Burke, who had pinch ran for Lance Berkman just a few innings earlier, a little-known player that very few people outside of Houston had even heard of before, he just steps up and hits a home run on the first pitch of the 18th to the Crawford boxes in left field. And the pitch. Swinging. Lining it to left. It's gone! It's gone! It's gone! Chris Burke! Holy Toledo, what a way to finish. It was just complete pandemonium in the stadium. I mean, I was sitting in the I was in the standing room only section. It was the only tickets left available for the game. And when he hit that home run, it was already crowded, but everyone, it seemed, just to swarm together, whether they're standing in the concourse or working behind the concession stands or just standing up watching the game from their seats. And it was just jam-packed, everybody dancing, hugging each other. It was just really insane. And that home run would send the Astros to the National League Championship Series where they would defeat the St. Louis Cardinals in six games and advance to play the Chicago White Sox in the World Series. Unfortunately, they would get swept in four games to Chicago White Sox that year. And then after that season, the team really just fell off. And a decade later, here we are in 2015, and they've finally made it back to the postseason. But one of the things that really stood out to me from that 2005 World Series run was how much the Astros just brought people together that, that year. I remember one time specifically, I mean, you had th- things ranging from rap stars like Chameleonaire and Paul Wall dropping Houston Astros remixes to the team hosting viewing parties in downtown at a park and you have demographics ranging from businessmen in suits to homeless people and they're just all gathered around to watch a baseball game. It was just really incredible. Playoff baseball is so great. There's all these moments, all these pauses that are just so suspenseful i'll give you a perfect example it's 2005 and the white Sox are playing the red Sox in the alds the Sox have won the first two games and they're going back to fenway park to deal with tim wakefield who could you know as as a knuckleballer he could be either the best pitcher in baseball or the worst pitcher in baseball on any given day So they have a tough matchup going into Fenway Park in a potentially clinching game. This is game three. They're going out of five games in the ALDS. Meanwhile, I'm in Washington, D.C. 
with my parents on a vacation that clearly was booked before my dad knew that the White Sox were still going to be playing baseball in October. And we're in a taxi going somewhere. I don't really remember where we were going to or or where we were coming from, but we're in a taxi and we're stuck in Washington, D.C. traffic while this game's going on. And so we asked the cab driver to turn on, uh, you know, if you would mind turning on the White Sox game. And it turns out that our, our cabbie was uh, a White Sox fan. So, of course, he had no, no problem turning the game on for us. And I'm sitting there with my dad, who's a gigantic, lifelong White Sox fan. We listen in horror in the sixth inning as Damaso Marte loads up the bases with no outs. This is the bottom of the sixth inning. Sox are up by one, and it looks like the tide, the momentum of the game might be starting to turn in the Red Sox' favor. And Ozzy comes to the mound, and he motions to bring in El Duque Hernandez, somebody who uh, my dad and I clearly had almost no <laughs> confidence in. Um, he's a fifth-place starter coming in in a relief situation with, you know, the bases are loaded. It's Fenway Park. There's nobody out. You have a playoff crowd in Boston roaring at you. The stakes of the situation could not be any higher. And on top of that, you have Jason Veritek, Tony Graffinino, and Johnny Damon to face in the batter's box. I think Veritek was a pinch hitter. But at this point, it was not so much if they were going to give up any runs, but it was how many they were going to give up. And Orlando Hernandez comes in, takes the mound, and he starts he starts throwing to um, to Veritek. And again, I'm in a taxi cab listening it, to it on the radio, but even through the radio broadcast, I kind of hear the like of the ball making contact or with the bat making contact with the ball. And um, there's kind of a momentary uh, feeling in the pit of my stomach where I thought that that was a hit. But then I hear the radio announcer saying that it was a pop-up and they fouled out uh, to Paul Canerco. Veritek skies it. Canerco calls Krasinski off, makes the grab. So one down, big out. Then Tony Graffinino comes up. And he has this long at bat. Um, I forget how many how many pitches it, it went, but he was fouling off pitch after pitch after pitch. With every pitch, the stakes are getting higher. With every pitch, the tension is growing. And um, eventually, I hear that little sound again, and he pops to. It was an infield pop-up. He pops out to, um, I think it was Juan Uribe. Pops him up as well. Uribe calls for it. Then, two outs, Johnny Damon comes up. And uh, Orlando Hernandez goes to a full count on Johnny Damon. And just in that moment, in that that uh, moment before he threw the uh, the pitch with the full count, like, 
that might have been one of the most suspenseful moments I've ever been a part of in sports. I, I don't think that there's anything like it in any other sports. He throws a curveball to uh, to Johnny Damon with a full count. He throws a curveball, gets Damon to to wave at it enough to strike him out. Three two pitch. Oh, he gets him to go. He retires the side in order. Goes one two three without giving up one run. I got to tell you, in that taxi cab, <laughs> uh, it was it was incredible and. Then uh, we, I think we ended up getting somewhere to, to watch the rest of the game. Either I don't remember if it was our hotel room or if it was a, like a restaurant or, or a bar or something, but we get somewhere we, where we can watch the rest of the game. And Orlando Hernandez throws a couple more shutdown innings, only gives up, I think, one hit, and locks down the American League uh, Divisional Series for the Chicago White Sox. And... That was the moment for me, and I think for my dad as well, where we sort of thought, okay, um, maybe this could actually happen. Maybe this is something. Uh, Maybe the White Sox can actually go all the way. My favorite baseball memory had to be going back to the 2005 Chicago White Sox winning that World Series over the Houston Astros, sweeping the Astros at Minute Maid Park. That Game 4 particularly was the moment where I finally realized how much I enjoyed watching baseball. I was a big football fan, Bears fan, obviously, and the Bears started picking it up over over that season and the season after that, making it to the Super Bowl and losing to the Colts in that one. The White Sox, though, were a different animal for me. I didn't really grow up playing a lot of baseball. I played more so t-ball in my life, and that's why baseball didn't intrigue me too much. Uh, That season, though, in 2005, where the White Sox almost lost a division lead to the Cleveland Indians, still got to the playoffs and swept the Red Sox, won against the L.A. Angels of Anaheim in five games, and then got to play the Houston Astros in the World Series Game one and game two were terrific games. Canerco having the grand slam, obviously going over to game three where Jeff Blum hits the hits the home run in extra innings at about one one thirty ish central time in the morning, and all Chicago fans were going nuts. I was asleep at that point. My mom made me go to bed early. It was about I think I was in sixth grade, so I I went to bed pretty early at that point in my life, maybe around ten ten thirty at night. During Game 4, though, it was about 9.30, 10 o'clock. My mom was screaming at me, telling me to go to bed. It was the top of the eighth inning with Brad Lidge facing off against Jermaine Dye with a runner on third base, the runner being Willie Harris, a speedster, a speed demon for the White Sox. That season, I was glued to the television. I was laying down right in front of it. She kept telling me, Eli, you got to go to bed. You got to go to bed. You got school tomorrow morning. I'm not going to tell you this another time. You need to get your sleep. And I, I always listened to my mom when it came to that stuff when I, when I was very young. Still, though, there was something in me that's, that told me that the White Sox were going to clinch that night, and I needed to watch that game. I stuck around. My mom ended up leaving the room because she had to work with my sister on a project. So I got to get away from her for a little bit and get, get some time to be able to watch the game. Jermaine Dye ends up driving in Willie Harris against Brad Lidge, and I just stand up 
and go nuts. There are over 42,000 people packed in here, hoping that Lidge can get Jermaine Guy. That's up the middle, and the White Sox take the lead. A two-out RBI hit by Jermaine Dye, and Chicago is on top. My grandpa was asleep at that time, and, and he was a big White Sox fan too, so it was just me in the living room jumping up and down, screaming for joy. I, I think my downstairs neighbors were, were putting a broom to, the, to, their, to their ceiling, and that, that ended up hitting my floor, basically telling me to shut up. I didn't care, though. That, that moment was something I, I knew I might not experience ever again and an opportunity for the White Sox to win a World Series. And getting that run put them in a position to do so because an inning and a half later, Bobby Jenks slammed the door on the Astros, uh, shutting them down. And uh, another great catch, another great moment for the White Sox in their playoff run was in that bottom of the ninth inning where Uribe went into the stands uh, on a Chris Burke pop-up, made the catch, dove into the stands to do that. Astros still needing that hit. Burke pops it up. Left side. Will it stay in play? The catch is made by Uribe. An unbelievable grab. Ending up in the crowd as he pulls in out number two in the ninth. I, I couldn't I could not believe my eyes. That that was destiny. That was telling me that the White Sox, through all the growing pains that season, that this was their year. And obviously being up 3-0 in a series and an inning away from inning and a half away from winning the World Series, that should tell anybody that that, that your team is is that close and and they should be able to get it done. Uribe, though, the making that play in the stands made it so much more special to watch, made it so much more compelling because a big play like that in a late game situation, it, it tells you something. It tells you something about that team that they're willing to do anything to make that play to make a play that can that can win him a big game like that. Uh, Bobby Jenks goes on and, and gets Orlando Palmero uh, on a ground ball to Uribe, to Canerco. I hate to try to Im- imitate Joe Buck, but Uribe to Canerco and the White Sox have won the World Series. Tying run at second, two out, Palmero over the head of Jenks. Uribe charges, throws, out! And the White Sox have won the World Series! Juan Uribe with a play, charging it, throwing it, and the White Sox celebrate their first title in 88 years. I haven't seen a White Sox World Series championship since. I, I know it's not to the Cubs level. They haven't won one in 107 years. To get that, though, on my back, to see a, a team that I love win a World Series for the first time in my life was an incredible moment that I'll always cherish and never forget. Thanks for listening to the Radio DePaul podcast. You can listen to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. A special thanks to Reed Lubin, Brandon Welper, Josh Criswell, and Derek Peters for contributing to the podcast. You can always listen to Radio DePaul at radio.depaul.edu or Radio DePaul Sports at radiodepaulsports.com. We'll be back next week with more of the best bits from Radio DePaul, Chicago's College Connection. <laughs>